You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. On the podcast today, my good friend Clay Scroggins is back. Those of you that have been longtime listeners to the Better Man Podcast, you'll recognize Clay. He was on a few, probably about, I don't know, 18 months ago. We talked about his new book at that time called How to Lead in a World of Distraction. He's got another book out now called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. We talk a little bit about the book, but really specifically about one chapter in the book. It was the first chapter. It had a profound impact on me. You're going to hear the story why. We're going to talk about a subject that a lot of us men struggle with sometimes. There's even a a term for it out there, this idea of mansplaining, I think is what it's called, where men at times we we can answer questions or pretend like we know things that maybe we just don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with that. So if it's just me, then this is just going to be some therapy for me. But I I don't think I'm alone. I think this is something that a lot of men can struggle with. And so the three words, I don't know, that's what Clay is going to challenge us with today. Why those are essential words for today's leaders, whether we're leading out in the marketplace or leading at home or in the church, the leaders of the future have to get really comfortable with the words, I don't know. So I think you're going to really enjoy being challenged by Clay on this. So with all that said, enjoy my conversation with Clay Scroggins. Clay Scroggins, welcome back to the Better Man Podcast. Adam, so glad to be with you. Is this, I think it's the second time? Second time. You've got another book out, so it's time to have another conversation. We, we talk uh, once every few years. That's, that's when you and I talk. When you publish a book, we'll have a conversation. Okay, I want to talk to you about chapter one in your new book, which we'll talk more about here in a second. But to set it up, did you watch any of the Winter Olympics when that was happening a few weeks ago? Did anyone watch the Winter Olympics? <laughs> I've got a buddy. This is not like a flex, but I've got a good friend of mine who, I mean, this guy was like a volunteer at our church. He is the man, he's the president of the NBC affiliate in Atlanta. And I just had lunch with him last week and he was like, man, nobody watched the Olympics. So <laughs> okay. I was like, oh my gosh, for well, the NBC executive to be saying that. Yeah, then you know it was bad. Yeah, I think I read those headlines. Listen, the Tarno household, we did our fair share to root on the Americans. I don't know why. Winter Olympics, I am not a winter sport as uh, not at all i don't like it when it gets below 50 degrees we've talked about all that kind of stuff so somehow jackie started watching it and then the boys on a school night when there's usually no television they're like oh what's on winter olympics i love winter olympics mom thanks for turning that on they'll just watch any screen so i found myself i don't know what event it was maybe it was um let's just say it was either downhill skiing or snowboarding we were watching something about that competition i've skied twice i've never snowboarded i've wakeboarded that's as close as i've ever gotten to snowboarding and my boys start asking questions about the competition and strategy and clay i found myself answering their questions and like assuming that i knew the strategy of curly or or of snowboarding half pipe like oh well they probably did that because of and oh they want to do this and i just sat there and just started laughing at myself going guys i don't know why i'm talking right now because you're a man that's what we do. That's exactly it. And so that's why I want to talk to you today, because what I should have said when they asked a question is I should have been honest and I should have said, I don't know. And I do this a lot in my life. I think there's a term for it sometimes, the mansplaining. We've read a headline of an article. Well, I'll talk about myself. I've read a headline of an article. I've listened to 45 seconds of a podcast and I'm like, I got this. I'm, an, I'm pretty much an expert now. And I will go around and try to talk about things like I know them. So sometimes it's silly. Sometimes it can be more serious. But uh, you wrote in your first chapter in your new book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, was you don't have to know it all to start leading. It really is about this idea of I don't know. So talk to me where the answer 
inspiration for this chapter came from? Moments like that. I mean, moments where I was realizing I was conflating knowledge with leadership, that there was a day where if you knew a lot about a topic, you were considered a leader. Now, listen, let me back up a second and say, when I talk about leadership, I sometimes assume people are tracking with the way I think about leadership, and I know not everyone is, in How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, I wrote about you know, a simple idea that plenty of people have written up about before that leadership is influence, that I believe there's something spiritual about leadership. I think God gave us this one life to live. The way we affect other people, the way we impact other people, the way we influence other people is leadership. So when I say leadership, I mean as a dad, as a husband, as a coworker, as a boss, but not limited to being a boss. But we all have this perspective of leadership. I, I grabbed this from a guy named Dave Mayer. He's the professor of business ethics at the University of Michigan. And Dr. Mayer says that we all have this implicit leadership theory. Like we all have this idea of what it means to be a leader, particularly issues around confidence and competence that fit into our prototype of what it means to be an effective leader. And one of those is that we are knowledgeable, that we know more than anyone else about this topic, that that's what a leader is supposed to be. That's what a leader is supposed to do. But the truth is that because of the way information is being created these days, we just can't know everything about every topic. We can't know everything about any topic because information is being created so rapidly it keeps us in this, uh, I like the gaming term, you know, when you're in playing video games and somebody's new in the video game, you call them a noob. I love that term. And I think we are perpetually stuck in the noob state because of how much is being constantly thrown at us. Technology is constantly changing, constantly being updated. I think we have to be okay with, I don't know everything there is to know, but that doesn't mean that I can't lead in this arena. That may be why us as men, we struggle with this so much because we do want to be good leaders, right? We enjoy leadership. We accept God's responsibility that he has given us there to lead our families, to be leaders in the workplace. We understand we're to be the city on the hill. We are to be light in this world and we want to do that well. And so then I really like that idea. What is it called? The implicit leadership theory. The implicit so, leadership theory. Yeah. It's that idea that we all have of what does it mean to be a leader? And so we put this expectation on ourselves sometimes of thinking for right reasons or wrong reasons that leaders know the answers to things. I mean, I can probably go back to me as a little kid watching a sporting event going, Dad, why does the quarterback do that? Or why did the pitcher do that? And my dad had answers. He had an answer. That's right. It's because he's a man and he was leading, right? Because <laughs> he's a man and he had an answer. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> and so I, now my kids ask me about snowboarding and it's just like, I've never snowboarded, but I'm going to have an answer. And I, again, it's a silly example, but I do this in a lot of areas of life. And so I really liked what you had to say in there. So I think that's probably part of the reason why this is an acute struggle for many of us men out there. But I like what you say on how if we don't learn how to start to say, I don't know, it becomes unsustainable. That that really kind of stopped me in my tracks when I read that. Talk more about that. Well, part of the unsustainability of it is that you can't learn that you're closed off, that as soon as you feel this urge, this temptation to fake it, you're closing yourself off to learn. And I, I really believe that leaders of the future have to remain open, have to remain in this growth state. Yes, I'm in a noob state, 
but I'm also in a growth state. I'm not going to be tomorrow where I am today, that I'm continually learning. There's continuous growth. I think that is what the future is going to demand of us. That Freakonomics podcast, do you remember that book, Freakonomics, that was hot? Here's what Stephen Levitt said about this idea of pretending. He said, what I found in business is that almost no one will ever admit to not knowing the answer to a question. So even if they absolutely have no idea what the answer is, if it's within their realm of expertise, faking it is just an important part. I really have come to believe that one of the most important things you learn as an MBA student is how to pretend you know the answer to any question, even if you absolutely have no idea what you're talking about. And I found it's really one of the most destructive factors in business that everyone masquerades like they know the answer and no one will ever admit that they don't know the answer. And so as soon as we start pretending, as soon as we start faking like we know the answer, like we have answers to things, we close ourselves off to learning. We close ourselves off to actually inviting others into the process. And to me, that's the greatest part of the statement I don't know is I don't know is an invitation. And I think for, for those of you that lead teams, for those that lead businesses, the most compelling thing you can do for the people that work for you is to invite them in. That's what every single employee that you have is looking for is an invitation. Would you come and help me? There is a problem I'm trying to solve and I don't know enough about it to solve it. I need your help. And I don't know is the beginning of the evite. It's the beginning of the invitation of saying, hey, come and help me figure this out. Let's do it together. Let's work on it together. Uh, I won't be able to do it alone. But with you, with us, there might be a chance. And I think it's what Jesus did with his disciples. I mean, clearly Jesus could have solved it all on his own. He was God incarnate, but he was willing to invite those disciples in along the path, along the road to um, offering salvation to the world. And of course, they didn't participate in offering salvation, but he invited them in to follow him, which is what he still does. He still invites us in. It's an invitation to say, hey, come along, come along. I could do this any way possible, but plan A is to invite you in to be a part of the church which is the instrument for hope, the instrument of grace into all the world. So I think it's, uh, I think Jesus really modeled the way. And he didn't select the know-it-alls to join him, right? So he didn't say, hey, who are the people that answer all the questions perfectly? He said that those who uh, were not closed off to learning, he invited the fishermen to come with him, right? That culturally at that time, not the... Uh, not the star students. No, the most well-respected. He didn't get the Rhodes Scholars, but he was able to use that, that humility and teach them something so profound that it couldn't be taught in a university setting or whatever it was. And they went and they changed the world with it. And so I think there, there really is a message here for us men to think about with all of this on just how often we are trying to play to this standard in our mind, or, or maybe that we feel like the culture has put on us that a leader needs to know everything. And what you're saying is, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think one of the most profound leadership things you could do in your home, at church, at work, in your neighborhood is to humbly admit, I don't know, and go lead in the learning of it, or ask somebody else who does know how to handle it. It makes me think of uh, our friend, a guy that we both know, Blake Holmes, when I was working with him at the Young Adult Ministry. This is back before I was married. So 18, 19 years ago, we were at this weekend event leading a team of young adult leaders. And the meeting and the strategy session, it was kind of fluid and moving. We were getting close to the end and we needed to make a decision on where do we go next. And I remember we didn't know what to do. And Blake was the leader of the team and he just sat there and he looked at me and he said, all right, you're going to go up there and talk to them. And this is what you're going to say, because you're going to do this better than me right now. Okay. And so I need you to do this for the team. And I just remember how empowering that was 
to hear him just go, hey, I'm inviting you in to do this, and I'm humbly going to admit uh, that right now in this moment, I'm not abdicating leadership. I'm delegating and allowing you to go do that. And I think what you're saying is, as leaders, the more we can do that, the more I think people are going to want to follow and be impressed by that. Yeah, and I, you know, Adam, as we're sitting here talking about it, I mean, your illustration of Blake doing that with you helped me make this connection in my own mind that I, I had a season of my career where I was asking the question, what is success? Like, what, what, what is the goal here? Like, what am I trying to do? It's so challenging. You and I are both coming out of the church world where it is so hard to not define success based on nickels and noses as much as we try. You know, how many people are in the seats and how much money's in the bucket. But e- even though we know that's not success, that there's something far greater. And I would imagine for anybody who's in business or in academia or whatever profession you're in, you've had that existential moment where you're asking, am I successful? Am I? And ultimately, it's really just faithfulness. It's every day waking up and surrendering to God's spirit. Maybe what I'm trying to get at is that every little moment that we have to surrender to another human to say, hey, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to be inauthentic. I'm not going to fake it like I know it, despite everything in me that wants me to do that, because I feel like that's what a leader is. I'm going to willingly submit to you and say, perhaps you know something that I don't know, that that submission, it's really a rehearsal for the ultimate submission that God wants us all to have to him to say, hey, ultimately, I am surrendering and submitting my life to you that I don't know. I mean, we're in the middle of the Lent season right now. I don't know when this episode will play. And one of the things that we're trying to pray with our kids in the morning before they go to school, it's a Catholic prayer called the Jesus prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And even yesterday, as I'm standing up in the kitchen with my kids trying to pray that prayer, I'm I'm having them just recite that over and over again, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And I'm asking them, you know, what's the point of that? And even the 12 year old and the 10 year old, they get it. Like the point of this is I need God. That's it. That's kind of the simple point of it is I need you. I am surrendered to you. I'm submitted to you. And I think that's what the words I don't know do is it it, it almost tills the soil in our heart to get us to a place of humility where we're willing to say that to other people. If we're willing to say that to other people, perhaps we're willing to say that to our creator that I I need you. I can't do this alone. I'm inviting you in. I, I don't know. I think it's the ultimate submission. Yeah, omniscience belongs to one, and it's not us. And it's not a leader that we admire, because maybe maybe that's where some of this, too, is if I feel like I can't say I don't know because— good leaders always say they know or have an answer, then really that just seems to indicate to me is that I've been judging other leaders by how smart they are, right? And so it's more of just an indication of my own little personal uh, top 10 list or whatever sort of judgment that I'm using on all of that. And they're not great leaders because of their perceived omniscience. It's something else. It's not omniscience because it's impossible. I love how you bring that out in the book and then you said it here. I mean, just thinking about this information age that we live in, you literally cannot know everything. I mean, it's impossible. Every day there's just new information. So it ultimately, you know, c- comes down to to just like a character issue with all of this a little bit. I think it is. I think it's a it's ultimately a humility thing. And and again, I mean, this is not me saying, "Hey, I got this figured out and everybody's got to figure it out themselves or you got to go get this right." I mean, this is a constant battle. I mean, it is a 
I mean, you and I are both in this season of trying to start businesses. And when I'm speaking in front of organizations, I mean, I saw you do it today. You and I were in front of a group of people and this guy asked this really complicated question. And I was wondering, man, I know I don't know the answer to this, but maybe Adam will know the answer to this. And you go, man, that is a really difficult question. I don't know the answer to that question. And I thought that is so, that's so attractive to me. That's what I want. That's the kind of leader I want to be. It's what I want out of the leaders that I'm following is I want someone that's going to be willing to shoot me straight and go, man, that is a complicated question. There's not, I don't have a 30 second answer to that question. It, it honors me when you do that because it at least says, okay, the complicated thoughts that you're having in your mind, I'm not going to try to give some simplistic answer to it. So I think it's something that we're all striving to become. And, so, and I do think you're right. I think it's so related and connected to our character, our willingness to submit to the ultimate one who is uh, omniscient in doing so to other people as well. Okay, let's skate around the room a little bit just on people who might be listening and talk about some practical ways they could maybe apply this. So let's talk to the young professional out there trying to impress bosses, trying to impress teammates. Uh, What would be a way that they could apply this principle? Well, I would start by saying, go get educated, go read, go study. I mean, the, the answer is not particularly for anybody in their 20s or early 30s, the answer is not, oh, well, I'll never know anything. I'll never know at all. So I'm just going to give up on knowing anything. No, no, no. Go go get an MBA. Go understand finance better. Go understand the real estate market better. But to your point, when you feel that temptation to have an answer to a question that you know you don't really know, be willing to say, boss, I don't know the answer to that, but if you'll give me to the end of the day, I'll figure it out. I think that's a much more compelling and attractive answer for somebody that's an emerging adult. How is this impacting your parenting? Well, for one, I'm sure you've had this experience more than I have because your kids are a little bit older than ours are. But I mean, how many times have your kids known something that you don't know? And I think back to my childhood, I'm like, did... I don't know if there was ever a moment that I knew something my parents didn't know. I mean, but kids these days, they, you know, they've read a wiki article. I mean, my kids, I feel like they they know more about NFTs or cryptocurrency than I do because they've read some wiki articles and it just, nat- I don't know, it, it comes more natural to them. But, oh, technology, our 10-year-old son or 12-year-old daughter, they can fix stuff. They can get stuff set up way quicker than I can. And, I, you know, my parents, they, I have a degree in engineering, so they would always be like, oh, well, can you come fix the VCR? You know, as if, as if I ever took any kind of class that would relate to fixing a VCR. But I think kids know when you're faking it. And they're so tuned in to reading the BS in the room. You know, as a dad, I've been trying to, you know, that moment that you mentioned the Winter Olympics, when I feel like I'm making it up, I'm trying to use that instead as an opportunity to say, Hey, I, I I don't know, but let's figure it out. Come 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 help me out. You're you're a smart kid. Like you you can think through things. Let's figure it out together. So I think really trying to channel that energy instead of using the energy to pose like you know, use the energy as an invitation to invite your kids into a deeper relationship. Have you ever told somebody like maybe a kid, uh, one of your kids, I don't know, and they don't accept that answer and they continue to ask questions? 
Because I, for me, I feel like that's a conversation I do have often where they're like, you know, dad, why is the sky blue? I don't know. But seriously, like, what do you think? Like, why do you think? Uh, guys, I told you, I don't know. I feel like I have to say I don't know four times uh, sometimes, which to me indicates there's some sort of a trained behavior there where they're like, if you just ask dad enough, he'll give you an answer. And where I'm not like, I'm not doubling down on my I don't knows or anything like that. I didn't know if you experienced any of that ever. Well, I... Uh, my wife's dad is my father-in-law. He is, uh, one of the things I, I love a lot about him, but I, he's got a great imagination and he's so much better even than I, I watch him the way he interacts with our kids. And I mean, to make myself feel better, I tell myself, well, he's only doing this a couple days a year. I'm doing it every day, but he is so imaginative with them. And so I feel like what I see him doing is instead of saying, I don't know why this guy's blue he'll turn it back around to them and go, that's a great question. Let's think about that. Like, why could the sky be blue? You know, he's, and he, and he imagines with like, could it be because, you know, and sometimes real far-fetched answers that they go, no, it can't be that. So I, again, I think this idea of using it as an invitation, I I see him using it as an invitation to a deeper relationship to that. We're, we're thinking through something together. Yeah. What a great way to turn it into a, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm the expert and get out your pen and paper to let's, let's learn together. Let's learn together, which I think, and I mean, you can use that at home, at work, at church, anywhere. Just saying, I don't know. Let's think about that. Why do we think that would be? So that's fantastic. So I think that's our to do with all of this. And, and again, it was really profound for me. I mean, you were very kind to, uh, you know, to recognize that I did that today and Clay, it was it was your book and you reminding me of that importance that just lodged it in my mind that helped me to become more aware of when I don't know, I just need to be honest about it. And so I think that's the to-do for today for the men listening for us is, hey, as men, we're going to struggle with this. Uh, it's okay. It's good in the sense that we want to be leaders. We want to be really good leaders. Uh, leaders oftentimes have answers, especially today's knowledge workers. You know, you got to know things and have answers. But when you don't, uh, when you don't know, that's okay. Uh, that doesn't need to be a source of shame. Uh, the Lord is the only omniscient one that's out there. Just be honest. Use it as an opportunity to highlight somebody else, to engage in co-learning with people or learning together on a certain thing. Anybody, usually people can tell when you're talking in circles. And let's not try to become like the Freakonomics guy. Uh, don't, you don't want to become an expert in faking. So I love that. All right, Clay, where can people uh, learn more about you and keep, keep up with you? Well, I mean, I, you know, social media at Clay Scroggins, claysgroggins.com anywhere books are sold. You can find the aspiring leader's guide to the future. Adam, can I leave people with this quote from John Mulaney? Let's do it. I like it. This is just a, this is a um, silly way to end. I know you're probably going for an inspirational way to end, but <laughs> John Mulaney's a comedian and he did a bit on, um, as, as I'm putting this chapter together, I found this bit that he did on this little phrase. I don't know. Here's what he said. In elementary school, it doesn't matter what you think. It just matters what you know. You have to have answers to questions. And if you say, I don't know. You get an X on your test and you get it wrong. And that is not fair because your brain has never been smaller. Also, that's not how life works. If you came to me now and you were like, hey, John, name three things the Stamp Act of 1765 accomplished, I'd go, I don't know, get out of my apartment. (laughs) But when you're a little kid, you can't say, I don't know. And you should be able to. That should be an acceptable answer on a test. You should be able to write in, I don't know. I know you told me, but I've had a very long day. I am very small and I have no money. So you can imagine the kind of stress that I'm under. Uh, Uh, I'm clearly not advocating for kids to not have to know things on tests. I I hope kids answer all the questions right. But 
that just uh, every time I read that, it just makes me laugh at the thought of somebody showing up at his apartment going, hey, John. Stamp at six seventeen sixty five. Three things. <laughs> name three things. <laughs> uh, and if anybody listening can name three things, send me an email. Uh, atarno at betterman.com. I would love to know the answers. All right, Clay. And don't dare Google it. Just don't. send Adam Just straight up. Straight up. Straight I need to know if it's in your memory. All right, friend. Always great to be with you. Thanks for your time. Well, Clay, once again, thank you. Like I told you, that chapter had a profound impact on me. I did not realize how often I'm not saying I don't know when I need to say I don't know. And so I really appreciate the conversation, appreciate the challenge. I think for a lot of us men, uh, that's something that we needed to hear today because we do struggle with this. Uh, at times. And so thank you for all that. You guys want to keep tracking with Clay, go to claysscroggins.com or at claysscroggins. I know he talked about that there at the end. I'll put links in the show description as well so you can track with him and keep up to date with what he's got going on. So if you want to learn more about the 11-week Better Man experience, you can go to betterman.com. Go check that out. That's free of charge for you and your church and your community. A great way to just journey with other men about what it means to be a man who wants to follow after God. And so go to betterman.com to learn more about that. This episode, like all of our episodes, was mixed and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we've got for today on the Better Man Podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.